Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Most of you have gotten there. So Mm -hmm. the title of the section is A Vital Church Grows. Mm -hmm. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, Mm -hmm. praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we we do thank you this morning for the gift of your word available to us. Um, Your word says that one of the main ministries of your spirit through your word is to enlighten our eyes. And so, God, we're here. We just want to come before you this morning acknowledging that we don't have perfect 2020 spiritual vision. That you, there is some, some incredible things that you've shown us. There's some incredible things that we see about you. But we recognize that we need the work of your spirit to open our eyes to more. To more of, of, of who you are, God. To more of what we've been missing. We just acknowledge together, God, that there's things that we won't see about you without the work of your spirit. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to enlighten us through your word, to speak to us. I pray, God, you'd give me strength physically and mentally to preach this message this morning. And ultimately, our, our, our hope rests in, in this fact, God, that you're here, you're with us, and you want to talk to us. So help us listen to you as you speak. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Thanks, David. All right. Well, as I mentioned, uh, taking uh, a short break here from our series in the Gospel of Mark for this mini-series on the mission and pillars of Soulless Church. When we use the word vision, vision interlude, uh, we mean exactly what we were just praying. We're, we've been asking this for some time. God, give us clear eyes to see what's going on here in the church. It can be really easy as church people and church leaders and just with church things to just kind of go on autopilot and just be about church stuff and Jesus stuff without stopping and thinking or humbly asking, God, what are you doing and are we a part of it? That's a really important question. God, here's all that we're doing, but hold on. What are you doing? What are you up to? What's your heart? What's your work for the church? And that's where blessing is, so we want to join that. You with me? And that's true of so many things in life. 
right? There's a difference between saying, God, I think this is a great idea. I think like a Shark Tank pitch, you should really get behind this, okay, Lord? I project great things for this idea. There's a whole difference between that and saying, Lord, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. God, what are you doing and how can we find out and join in, as Henry Blackaby says. And so that's kind of what we're, we've, we've really sought to do. You know, new churches are given both a great opportunity and a great responsibility. As a church plant, you're given the, the great opportunity and responsibility of a clean slate. And so as we've, we set out to, to pursue planting Solus Church here in Boca about five years ago, uh, it was five years ago that, that a, a core group of us started gathering in the Steffer home, and we just began to pray and just be like, God, here we are. We don't know what we're doing, but you know you've told us to show up here, and so lead us. Uh, some people have said that uh, church planning is like, it's like building a plane while it's in the air. And when I first heard that, I was like, that's the language I've been looking for. That makes sense to me. And as a, as a new lead pastor, I feel like I'm learning to fly the plane while it's in the air. And so it's a, it's a big mess. It's beautiful, though. It's beautiful. Uh, and, and so that's kind of been the journey of just walking with Jesus and saying, Lord, help us continue to go your way. Because there's a, there's a great opportunity. We have a blank slate to go back to God's word and, and test what we're doing to, to, to make sure this is what he's called us to be about. And then also there's great responsibility, like this is Jesus's church. And we should have that reverence when we approach the things of God, especially the things of his church. And so it's with that heart that for the past few years, we've just been asking God to help us grow clarity and vision for uh, who he's called us to be. And so we've been, we've been doing this series to help hopefully bring you some more vision. And there's two main parts of this series, our mission and our pillars. That's really it. It's a four-week series, two weeks on each. Last week, we wrapped up the first two weeks on mission. Like, what exactly are we doing here? And we articulated it this way. In the first week, we focused on the first part of this. But we said the mission of Solus is to be a Jesus-centered church that makes Jesus-centered disciples. We feel this is uniquely what God has called us as a community to focus on and be about. We want to first... Be, it's something we want to identify as and pursue in our essence. We want to be a community of people that are centered around Jesus. The church is his. It's the church of God which Jesus purchased with his own blood. And best case scenario in any church is Jesus at the center and nothing else. Things go wrong in our lives and in the ministry and in the world when we remove God from the center of what belongs to him and we subtly put other things there instead. And I just want to say that is the natural tendency of humanity, to decenter God and to put other things there in his place. And so, you know, we're fighting for this. We don't want to be a pastor-centered church. We don't want to be a consumer-centered church. Got to keep the customer happy. We don't want to be a culture-centered church driven by the winds of culture. We want to be a Jesus-centered church. And we're not saying that we're like, we're really good at that. We're just like, we know that we desperately need to pursue that, okay? And so now what we said, we said it this way, that if that's something we're going to be, that's going to inform what we're doing. Like, why are we here? Well, if Jesus is at the center, the ministry that's going to flow from that is going to be obedience to what he said the church is for. What is the church for? Well, it comes out of Matthew 28, where Jesus gives the mission to his first church planters, the disciples, and he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's the task, 
It's to make disciples. It's not make uh, you know, a room full of people. It's not make people happy. It, it's, and those might be part of it. Those are all good things. Happiness, is a, you know, that's a good thing. I hope that for you. But at the end of the day, the goal isn't even just make converts. Jesus says, go and make disciples. It's interesting. The Greek word there for make disciples is the word matheteo, where we get our uh, modern word mathematics. And kind of the concept makes sense, doesn't it? Like, you don't just innately, naturally know complex mathematics. You, you need to be taught. Some of us need tutors. We need a little extra help. I need to hang after class and get that one three more times because I was struggling to pay attention. So the idea, though, Jesus is like, same word, mathematics, something that, that needs to be learned. Nobody wakes up and they're like, I get trigonometry. It's just how I think. I just think in terms of trigonometry. I think in terms of algebra. I mean, maybe you do, but you probably learned to do that, okay? Now, that's the big idea. And so Jesus is like, go into all the world and teach people the way that I've set out. Teach people to follow me. Now, we, we talked last week that that has three main parts. There's a reaching ministry where we're bringing people into a relationship with God through the gospel of Jesus. There's a gathering ministry where we don't just sow a seed, but we want to see fruit come from that. So, so we, we, we say, come into the family of God, be a part of his church through which you've been um, brought into through the gospel. And then there's a developing discipleship ministry. I think sometimes this is what I struggle with being in church for so long. Like, what am I doing here? Like, I know I'm here for Jesus, and like we sing, and like, you know, but there's a lot of Christians in our room, in our church. What are we doing? Like, if you've been reached and gathered in, what's next? Well, Jesus says the task of the church is to teach people, Christian, to obey all that Jesus commanded. That's quite a high task, right? I mean, we said last week, it would be easier if it was just like, teach them what Jesus said. That's easy. I could do that every Sunday. Let me tell you what Jesus says to do. Let me tell you how Jesus says to live. But Jesus is like, no, that's not the mission of the church, just filling people with information about Jesus. That's a part of it. But the goal is that we are a community of people who are living in his way. We're pursuing the way of Jesus. He saved us, and he has a new way of life for us, and we're here in the church to invite God to bring us further into that, to take us deeper into that. This is a lifelong journey. The two theology words for this are justification and sanctification. Justification is the work of the cross to be sufficient to save me and make me righteous before God apart from my works, all through trusting in the works of Jesus. We're justified, we're saved. Sanctification is an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to make me less like me and more like Jesus. To conform me even to the image of his son. And so that's the big idea of discipleship, making Jesus-centered disciples. A good question that comes out of this, which we want to answer now this morning in the text we read, is what does that actually mean? look like like even here at solace like like i said we're a lot of us have been following jesus for some time and if 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 uh, you're new to the faith we welcome you clearly too we're here for you but how do we measure that like we're maturing in christ but what are the markers of maturity what are like the distinctives of discipleship 
And for us, we call these our pillars. And if you didn't get to write these down last week, you can write them down uh, this morning. Uh, Our pillars for us are the six biblical distinctives. First, that we hope would be modeled in our ministry. Like, the, the hope is almost like, I don't put this up. But you can, like, maybe not the exact words because they're very wordy, right? I get that. They're wordy. I'm a kind of wordy guy, sorry. I'm a wordsmith of sorts, okay? You might not be able to exactly use these phrases, but the hope is that you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, so tell me about your church, Solus. What are some of the, give, give me, like, a, a brief peek into the church. Now, my desire is that people could look on and say, oh, Solus, that, that church is, really believes the gospel, and they're living like it. it. It actually shapes who they are, and it bleeds into how they minister to people. Oh, that, that, church, that church believes the Bible. They re, but like they really believe the Bible enough to open it up and see what it says, you know, and to study it and explore it and let it read them. Uh, that church is hungry for the Holy Spirit. That church is hungry for God's presence and power among them. I want that to be true of our church. That church, that's a church, they they don't just care about gathering on Sunday. They actually care about who people are becoming and how they live their day-to-day and the disciplines of their lives, formational Christianity. That that church, you know, one thing about Solus is they're, they're really after authentic community. They're a church that is not settling for shallow spirituality, but they're, they're trying to dive into the deep end of walking together. They're seeking to know each other. And, and lastly, that, that's a church that is not just about like building an empire of a local church. That's a church that has surrendered their lives to the work of God in the world, and they're available to him and what he's doing. Now, what I just described is what I desire for our church. So this is what we want to, we, we pray that we can model, but this is also why we're here and why you're here. This is what we're, we're coming after. It's what we want to also reproduce in our community. I mean, another way to say this is if God has called you here to Solace Church, first, if you haven't yet come to know God through the perfect provision of his son, Jesus, that's step one. And that's why we're here first. Second, we want to bring you into the family of God for you to be a part of this family that he's saved you into, that you would function as a member of the family that you're a part of. And then third, if God has called you here as a Christian, this is what he's up to in your life. He's he's seeking to lead you deeper into this. Like another way to say this is like, this is how we as a church will measure and want to measure spirituality and spiritual growth. This is how we can sort of check our lives and go, am I growing? Now, um, I can assure you, and the good news of this is that we didn't sit in a room and just kind of go, what are some cool spiritual things that we can make on a list? Now, we started with 10. At one point, went down to four. We're back up to six. Building a plane while it's in the air, okay? But for us, these distinctives have been, you know, we said it this way with this vision, like, it's not that we've changed direction. We just feel like God's taken us deeper into clarity as to what we've really been called to be about and the things that he's called to to produce in our church. And they come right out of the passage that David read. These are all there in the passage that we just read there. Acts 2, those verses 40 through 47. I love that David shared, he shared the the header of the section, a vital church grows. I mean, that's great. A vital church grows. I, I I want Solus Church to be a vital church. 
for the sake of eternity. And, and I want God to grow us, not in the ways we may want, but in the ways that he wants. And that's what we see there in Acts 2. The, uh, the, the church in Acts 2 that we just read about is the first ever church plant. The first ever church plant. Um, and it's really less of a church plant, and it's more of like a church birthed by the Holy Spirit. The disciples don't come into Jerusalem like, we got to plant a church, okay? we got to get a budget going, 501c3 nonprofit status. Let's get this church planted. That's not his mindset. He, he, instead, their ministry is, as they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they preach the gospel. They plant the gospel. That's what Jesus said to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And, and that those seeds of the gospel lead to the increase of a church. And I love that it doesn't end with these people getting baptized, but they start doing life together and growing together, and there's certain healthy signs of growth in the community. And what I believe is we see all six of these things. Now, for week one, we want to, or sorry, week three, week three, this is the third week. I'm just doing the math in my head. I'm counting to three in my head, okay? Week three... <laughs> We want to start with the first half of these pillars. I want to unpack these for us for the remainder of our time here, this vision that we have. Uh, the first three that we have there listed and that we even see in the text here is a community of people defined by these Christians following Jesus are growing in gospel centrality, biblical authority, and spiritual sensitivity. So like even as I'm studying this this morning, I'm just like, I stop what I'm doing and I just take some time, and I'm just like, God, would you, would you do this in my heart, in my life? Would you make me someone who's more centered on the gospel? Would you make me someone who's more submitted to your word? And would you make me someone who's filled with your spirit? This is what we want for our lives. This is what we want for our church. If I could summarize this into a, a kind of like a vision sentence of what we want, here's what I would say. For this week, we're talking about this desire. We, as Solus Church, about five years into this thing, following Jesus, getting to know him, watching him work in and through our lives as a community, we want to be a community of people that are shaped by the gospel, that are rooted in scripture and filled with the Holy Spirit. This is... Um, this is what we're after. Uh, and this is right, again, right out of this passage. And so let's go back through and see some of these verses that showed us these three markers of spiritual growth. Becoming a community that's shaped by the gospel, rooted in scripture, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's begin here with what we called first gospel centrality. Gospel centrality. The heartbeat of gospel centrality is that the gospel is not merely inaugural. As a lot of us think about the gospel, the gospel is the good news of what Jesus did to save a past me. The gospel's for my past, the old me. Behold, the new has come. What's up? You know, that could be the mindset. I needed the gospel. We can think very wrongly about the gospel as merely and simply and only something that saves us rather than also the good news that sustains us and shapes us as we continue to walk with Jesus. This is what we see modeled in this church. Uh, it's really beautiful. I mean, first thing that we see there that David read, Peter is preaching to them the gospel. And it says, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. We talked about this a little bit last week. Like, um, effective evangelism should involve more than just information. 
Um, there's thoughtful information, but there should also be a compelling invitation. Like, hey, be reconciled to God. Here's good news. Receive the invitation and come to know him. I love that Peter does that. He says, be saved. There's, a, there's an invitation there. And then those, it says, who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. So this is like a crusade here, this incredible evangelistic opportunity where where Peter preaches about the good work of Christ for sinners. What God has done for us who are separate from God because of sin and what Jesus has done to reconcile us to God and overcome even our greatest enemy, death itself and Satan himself, the work, the triumphant work of Christ for sinners. And it says that they received his word, so beautiful. The Bible says to receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. It's one thing to hear God's word. It's another thing to say, God, I'm going to receive the good news. Yeah, I know it. I grew up in church hearing about it. But God, I've allowed it to travel from my head to my heart. I've received. What a great question to ask yourself. You may know the gospel, yet have never received your sonship received your adoption, received God's love. Some of us, we're great at knowing every theological corner of the gospel. But have you had the love of God poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit? Have you received the gospel? To be sufficient, guess what, even for your sins last week? Even for your sins tomorrow, right? So there's a a beautiful display of this, but I want you to notice this. I love the way that Luke goes on to describe these who believed the gospel. He says in in Acts 2.44, he says, Now all who believed were together. I love this description. I mean, we, we use this today too. We're like, hey, are you a believer? It's like... I saw her face, and she's a believer. I knew it, right? Like, that's the, the language we use today, too. Believers. We believe, what are we believing? Like, what, is this, what does this even mean? They were, those who believed. Those who, what are they believing? Well, they're not just believing general truths about a creator God. These are Jews. These are those that knew the Torah. They knew the Bible. What, what Luke is uniquely pointing to is this is a community of people that he's identifying as a bunch of people who are like, we believe in the gospel, We believe it. The hardest thing, by the way, you and I will ever do is genuinely believe the gospel. We can know it, but do we believe it? Do we believe it as true and sufficient for our lives right now, what God has done for you? This goes on to be sort of the, one of the main titles of the church in the Bible. One of the most poetic is in Acts 4, 32. It says that the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Isn't that awesome? What's the church? Is the church a bunch of holy, rolling, cloud-walking, perfect people? No, the church is a a multitude of people, of sinners. Paul says at the end of his life, the longer, longer he walked with Jesus, the more he saw his need for the gospel. You know, his sanctification wasn't like, I received the gospel, and then I, the more I walked with Jesus, the more I liked what I saw in the mirror because I'm a Christian now. It's like, no, Paul's like, the more I walked with Jesus, the more I saw him clearly and the more I saw who he was, I saw who I was. That's what happens when you stop living your life comparing yourself to other people. It's like, I'm pretty good compared to them, you know, compared to my neighbor at home. You should meet my neighbor. I'm a saint, you know. He ain't, you know. Um, 
and, and then you do it like Isaiah is a great example of this. Isaiah, Isaiah is a great example. It's Isaiah 1 through 5. Woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to you, sinners. The prophet Isaiah. And then Isaiah sees the Lord. And he goes, whoa. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. God, I need you to, to cleanse me. I see who I am apart from you. But I believe the gospel. So I also see who I am in and through you. This is the multitude of those who believe. The church is not this community of perfect people. It's a bunch of people who recognize their need for Jesus and they're casting the full weight of their lives, not on their own works, but the works of Jesus. We're casting our lives on the cross. And this is what we want the church to be about. The gospel is not just inaugural, it's also central. Uh, let, let me show you where this is in Scripture. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15.1. If you go on to read through 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives what in Scripture is the most clear and sequential description of what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus, what Christ has done to die for our sins according to the Scriptures and be raised from the grave according to the Scriptures. Prior to this, and let me also say this, like if you... If you if you notice a theme, if you look through all of Paul's letters to the churches, there's usually, this transformed the way that I, I, I even look at the epistles. Um, if you look at the, 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 every epistle next to each other, what you'll find is a theme that the Apostle Paul has for the church. And it's some attempt to bring them back to the gospel. Whether it's Colossians, and they're, they're getting into syncretism, they're like blending the gospel with other faiths, like Jesus is a way and a truth and a lifestyle. He's a good one. He's a good way. You should try him too. Keep up whatever you're doing, but just add Jesus. It's like, well, it doesn't, you know. That was one temptation and tendency today too. By the way, it's not just them that do that. We're guilty of this as well, blending our faith with other worldly ideas. So Paul's like, let's bring the gospel. Uh, and every, every book has a form of that. Galatians, the church is moving on from the gospel into a works-based righteousness. And so like, they even like had categories. There's like Christians, but then there's like super Christians who are doing these things. And you'll never, be un you'll never step into this favor with God unless you do the things that we do. You keep the laws that we keep. Okay, He saved you, but he's not happy with you. Okay. It was this works-based gospel. And Paul tells the church, he says this to them. He says, he says, if I or even like an angel preaches any other gospel to you than what you've heard, let them be accursed. He like pronounces a curse on someone that comes up as an angel of light to bring some new message and so Paul's heart for the church, like he recognized that Christians especially have a tendency to move beyond the gospel, to leave the gospel at the starting line or to kind of push it aside as not as relevant to me anymore. I'm going on to bigger, better, deeper things, God. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15 as he's talking to the church. He says, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received like the church in Acts and in which you Stand. Isn't that beautiful? The gospel is not just what saves you. The gospel is where you stand presently. The good news of Jesus. J.D. Greer says it this way. He says the gospel isn't the ABCs of the Christian faith. The gospel is the A to Z. The gospel isn't the diving board that you jump off of to get into Christianity. 
I got gospeled in here. It saved me back then. Now I'm here. No, he says the gospel is the pool of the faith. As we're diving further and deeper into what God has for us as gospel-centered people. Now, let me pause there to say a couple important things about this. I want to first mention what I don't mean. And I'm going to give you some really big theological words that you can impress people at lunch with today, okay? First thing I want to say, in light especially of what Paul is saying here about a Christian who stands and is rooted in the gospel, shaped by it. What we don't mean by gospel centrality is first, gospel centrality doesn't equal antinomianism. Antinomianism is a doctrine that essentially says that in Christ, obedience is irrelevant. Okay, that's another gospel. That's not... That's a gospel that's disarmed of power to transform your life. We believe the gospel of Jesus is powerful enough to do what Titus chapter 2 says. It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldliness. We're sanctified through the gospel. So when we say the gospel, we don't mean, hey, you know, stop being obedient. Don't even think about obedience. Just be saved. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about, about uh, what that actually looks like in a positive sense. I also want to say, here's another big phrase, gospel centrality also, nor does it mean theological minimalism. Theological minimalism is, and, and the reason why I'm saying this is because there have been a lot of gospel-centered movements that have sort of been marked by some of these characteristics where it's like, yeah, we're gospel-centered, man. It's like we don't call people to faith and repentance. We don't call Christians the holiness. Why? The gospel. It's like, what Bible are you reading, okay? But then there's another part of this where there's kind of this movement to be like, we don't talk about hard things in the Bible. We just talk about the gospel. So, so when culture is preaching a secular ideology, as Christians, we don't confront lies with truth. We, just, we, we don't go beyond the gospel. Theological minimalism. Now, for me, the idea behind gospel-centeredness is a lot like Paul here. The idea is not that you don't move beyond the gospel, but that you start and you build everything from the gospel. The gospel is where everything gets its form from. And let me give you a couple examples of this, and we'll move on to the next one. Four key areas of your and my life as Christians that needs the gospel. Four key areas, even today, where you and I, we, we need a, a recenteredness around the good work of Christ. Uh, first, we, we need to readopt a gospel-centered theology. Theology uh, proper has its own kind of study and exploration. We're talking about here an understanding of God. A.W. Tozer said that what comes into my mind when I think about God is the most important thing about me. What comes into your mind when you think about God or you hear the word God is the most important thing about your life right now. And so what scripture would lead us to do is to have the gospel be the best lens to view God through. We don't view God through the lens of our experiences and our feelings and our circumstances. We don't view God just through one isolated aspect of his character in scripture. The gospel puts on full display all that God is in his perfection. His justice, his wrath, his faithfulness, his grace, his mercy, and his love. All wrapped up in a, in a condensed symbol in the cross. 
I'm learning to do this still. Um, I can very easily forget the gospel as an important key for me to walk with Jesus. I'm kind of like, yeah, I know the gospel, but I've got to trust him over here. One person that's recently been teaching me to do this more is my nine-year-old son, Judah. Jesus said, you got to become like a child to inherit the kingdom. I think he, I think he was onto something there, right? Judah, the other day, he was going to a, an art class uh, with Britt, my wife, his mom, and uh, with Lisa Noss. And in the art class, the, the, there was some instruction, some vision. There was a main verse. The main verse was Matthew 6.33. It was all about don't worry about your life. Like, by the way, you ever worried? Okay, good. All right. It was all about the tendency to be anxious and, and like, we, we lose confidence that God's going to take care of me and provide what I need. And anxiety comes and it just can control us. And Jesus is like, seek first the kingdom. Like, look at the birds. Look how God takes care of them. You're so much more valuable than a bird that God takes care of. Your father knows you, loves you, he cares for you. He's going to take care of you. Don't worry. So Judah was given this assignment to take that verse and that concept and put it into artistic form. And my gospel-centered nine-year-old, <laughs> he drew a cross with a bird on it, on this tree. This is beautiful. Sorry. You know, I just got back from a men's retreat. I'm extra weepy this morning, okay? <laughs> I flew in at 1230, if you can't tell by my preaching. Um, I got home that late. Um, and G Judah changed my understanding of trusting God. Don't worry about your life. I love there's a reminder here. God takes care of the birds. God's taking care of you through the cross. Don't worry. Look at the cross. Isn't that beautiful? So my nine-year-old son is teaching me to have a more gospel-centered theology of worry. <laughs> and it's something I want to discover. Let's have the cross at the center of our theology. Um, I want to say this too, identity. Uh, your identity speaks to who you are. We're all after an understanding of our identity. And if your identity is not received through the gospel, it's going to be an endless pursuit of achieving it, and you'll never find it. Because you're building it and basing it on things that will change. But the gospel gives us a, a perfect identity. And for homework, you can read Ephesians 1 to find out more about what that means. The, the gospel is not just about what Christ has done for you and your sin. The, the gospel is also about who you are now in Jesus. H humility is, is knowing all that you are apart from him. We need more of that. But Christian maturity is knowing all that you are in him. It's growing in a confidence and knowing that I'm not in my mistakes. I'm not in my, my sin patterns. I'm not, in, even in this season of life, where I'm at spiritually, you ever just getting into those seasons? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Dark night of the soul. It's like the God of the valley is the only God I know, right? It's going to be those seasons. You're not the season you're in. You're not your past, you're not your present, you're not your future, you're not your successes, you're not your failures. You, the Bible says this as a Christian in the gospel, you're in Christ. You're in him. And in him, 
It's all the fullness of God. It's all that you were created to experience and be. Identity. There, um, the, here's what I want you to, to think about. To determine if you have a gospel-centered identity. Um, when God looks at you, how does he feel about you? How does he feel about you? There was a, a Barna study done where they asked Christians this question. The most common answer is God's disappointed. The gospel says this, God delights in you. <laughs> You're his beloved child. That's your identity. It's who you are in him. He's so mad at me. And, and what it is is you've got to wipe the face of your father off the face of God. You've got to wipe the face of other authority off the face of God. God is not like anybody else. He's holy. He's set apart. Also, our activity, what compels our ministry. That's another big one here. Like, a good question here is, like, why do you do what you do? When we remove the gospel from the reason for why we do what we do, we get into all sorts of bad spaces. We start doing the right things for all the wrong reasons. Like, why do you serve? Why do you seek holiness? Why do you, why do you share the gospel? Why do you do what you do? And most of the time, what we're tempted to do is, it's like we're tempted to settle for um, kind of counterfeit things to compel us. Um, guilt, that, that, that can compel us sometimes. You ever been compelled by guilt? You're like, oh, I got to go to church. Why? I haven't been in a long time. I got to read my Bible. Why? I feel guilty. Or like worse, shame. I just don't want to feel shame, so I'm going to do this. Fear, that compels activity. It's probably the strongest out of all those. It has a shelf life, but I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't. Okay. And you could just go through the list of all these different things. Pride. What compels what you do? Pride. I want to look good. I want people to look on and be like, oh my gosh, they're spiritual. Wow. I want to be like them. But they're all counterfeit substitutes for what Paul said is the central compulsion for the Christian life. He said, it's the love of Christ. The love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ is the source of my activity. And lastly, ministry. The thing that characterizes what I do. Um, we, want, we want to be gospel-centered in that when people encounter us, I think a gospel-centered person is someone that people don't feel like they have to hide their leprosy from you. Because you're like, hey, I, I'm a leper too. Yeah. Not like I'm up here and you're down there. The gospel got us in, but where are you at? Gospel, a gospel-centered community is a community where, where people feel feel safe to be the broken mess that they are. Because we're all looking to the same source of salvation and hope, Jesus. Um, gospel centrality. Check this out. This is going to be the fastest closing sermon you've ever seen in your life, okay? I'll just talk to you about these last ones. Biblical authority is another key thing we see there in the passage. So they receive the word, but we see them, notice this, they received his word, but, but notice what they did. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. This is a really cool thing. They, they didn't just say, okay, I'm going to receive what God's word is. They said, I'm also going to walk in it. Uh, the apostles' doctrine, what they studied, th this is simply the scripture. Um, this is, you know, they're, they're not gathering together exploring more of Peter's opinions. You know, 
Like, where's the country going, Peter? What do you think? You know, they're, they're doing, Peter is learned from his master, Jesus, who brought the scriptures into the light for the truth of what they were and how they came to bear on our lives and ultimately how they're realized in him. And, and that's what Peter just got done doing. He was preaching the Bible. Uh, Acts 2 is Peter using scripture to point to Jesus. And, and now this is a community of people that are coming under that. Um, this is one of the main callings of the church in Scripture, uh, what we should be about. Uh, Paul says this to Timothy. He goes, I, I write to you. I hope to come to you really soon. He says, but if I'm delayed, I write to you so that you, might ought, to, so that you ought to conduct yourself. Sorry, that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Notice this, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Isn't that an interesting description of the church? The, the church is to be like this oasis of truth in a desert of uncertainty in a desert of of moral relativism you know the bible has been called timeless truth in truthless times and that's what the church is meant to be a, a community where you gather and the pillar and the ground of, of culture is the church of truth you can know that whatever i'm going through we can receive and know the truth as it comes directly to us through God's word. This is how we've designed our gatherings to open God's word, to allow his word to read us as we read it, and for Jesus to lead us into further freedom through the knowledge of his truth. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So this is a major aspect of discipleship of something we want to see modeled in our, and reproduced in our church. We want to be a church marked by truth. Um, you know, I've got like 20 things to talk about here. That would be great for another time. Um, read the Bible, hear the Bible, hide it in your heart, chew on it, pray it, speak it, do it. And all God's people said, amen. Okay. <laughs> lastly, <laughs> lastly, and we'll eat some cold cuts from Publix. Um, Spiritual sensitivity. This is where I want to close. And if anything, bring my heart a little bit more into this one. Um, we see this church is centered on the gospel. The gospel is not just something that inaugurates us into the family of God. The gospel is central to our theology, identity, activity, and ministry. Um, we, we receive the word of God. We're transformed by knowing, believing, studying, growing in the knowledge of truth, submitting to God's word and all that it says for our cultural moment. And just beautifully, this is a church that is marked by the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the promised comforter, God with us, and the person and work and presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter says this. This is interesting. Earlier on when Peter's preaching the gospel, he says to, the, to those who are listening, he's like, repent. Every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus uh, Christ for the remission of sins. And here's the promise. Like, this is a part of Peter's gospel invitation. He's like, you're going to be forgiven of your sins, but you're also going to, as a Christian, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? I don't hear this a lot in gospel invitations. Like, hey, you're powerless in your flesh. 
God died. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to rise to give you the power and presence of his very life within you. The power of the Holy Spirit. He goes, for this promise is not just to you, but it's also to your children. For generations to come, as many as our Lord will, will call. Uh, so so in, in Peter's mind, he looks on at future Christians and he sees the Holy Spirit as their inheritance. The, the inheritance of the Christian life. Um, there's a lot of questions today about like, you know, is the Holy Spirit still active in the church? You know, I love that question. It assumes you can have a church without the Holy Spirit, first of all. You know, Paul says that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The thing about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is never seeking the spotlight and the limelight. He's always given the attention to Jesus. He's the forgotten one who's always the most at work in our midst, whether we recognize him or not. Some of you feel like you don't know the Holy Spirit. You just know your own version of Christianity. Can I tell you the truth of that? The Holy Spirit has been your whole Christianity. You, he, and he's okay not being recognized. He's just faithful to work and move in your life. Conviction of sin, that's not because you're smart. It's the Holy Spirit. When you go, man, I hate doing that, and I, and I want to I love God more and serve him more, that didn't come from you. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there's a beautiful thing modeled here by this church. They're not just Bible knowledge people that are abiding in the doctrine. There's an important place to be transformed by God's word. But knowing God's word led them to the God of the word. They want to know more of him. That's what it's about. And so they're, they're not just gathering to know truth. They're also gathering, I love this, in prayer. And this is like the theme you see in the, in the early church. You, you see this combination of prayer and power of God's people laying hold of that for which God has laid hold of them, which is his very presence and power, the filling of his Holy Spirit uh, in their lives. And so, um, you know, maybe in years to come, we will do a, a whole other sermon series, and I will do this whole teaching over again and spend five minutes on the first point. I think that's the goal uh, for the future. But as I invite the band to close us out and, and transition us to our time of fellowship, I want to just bring up this, uh, this, this desire we have as a community. We want to be a community of people that are shaped by the gospel, rooted in scripture, and filled with the Holy Spirit. And so where are you at today, and what, what do you need God to do in a fresh way in your life this morning? Maybe you're like, I, I need to recover the gospel. I've been living a works-based mindset in my relationship with God. I, I, I've been trying to understand God or my own identity through every other lens except the cross. So I, I want to I grow in gospel-centeredness today. Maybe you're at a place in life where you're, the, narrative of your, the dominant narrative of your life is, is lying to you. And your life is permeated by lies. And you just need to today acknowledge that that authority is not greater than the authority of Jesus. And you just come under the authority of truth. His word and truth set you free from those lies. Or maybe it's you've been doing your Christian life in your own strength. That's been your mindset, and you need, you need to hear Paul's encouragement to the church in Ephesians. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. His Spirit has been poured out upon your life. What you need to do is come back to God and say, Jesus, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. To fill you these parts of me. I want to walk you. I want to you. I recognize I'm pretty much a head spiritual weight without you. 
all based on the promises of God.